Welcome to Quest, where we believe a great faith, great church experience, and great life is grounded in authentic relationship with God and living life with friends. Join us today in changing our world one friendship at a time. If you would like more information about connecting at Quest, stay tuned after the message. So as we jump into the message today, there's an old illustration that maybe, maybe all of you, many of you have probably seen. We all tend to live life full, right? I don't know if any of us really live life with a lot of spare time. We're all very busy people. We tend to live life full. And, and the thing of it is, when we live life, we can sometimes live life, there's lots of little things in life. So we can have lots of little things that just fill our life up and, and it, just, it just makes us full. But the problem is, there are really big important things in our lives, big, big priorities, big rocks that God wants us to have in our life. And when we live life full so often, there's no room. Where we find ourselves today in the study is, is we're talking about Haggai in a time when they were living life full and the big rocks weren't in the right place. There's a guy named E.M. Gray who spent his life researching to identify the key trait of successful people. And he discovered that while these are important, these weren't the key trait that was distinguished between all of them. It wasn't hard work and great relational skills. They're really important, but it wasn't that. The one factor that transcended all the rest was the habit of putting first things first. So we've got to take the bigger rocks and the bigger priorities in life, and we've got to put them in. And hopefully I'm not going to break this, because I already broke one glass this morning, and I actually cut my hand, and then I put disinfectant on it. You know what that feels like? That... Thanks, thanks. I needed that sympathy this morning. You know, so you put the big things in, like, and then there's some other things in life that, you know, you, you, know, you feel like your life is full, but then you, you can put a few smaller things in. and Good, it didn't break. So far, so good. And then you think your life's full, but there's still a boatload of room. And I won't take all the time to do this. I'm going to spill everywhere, but if you start shaking this, I can put probably most of this container still in that thing. And sometimes we even then think life is still full, but the reality is we can still put a lot more in before our life is full. And this illustration, I think, is really powerful and really appropriate for us today. God speaks actually to the Jewish people who at a time in our one big story that we find today are struggling with this very thing in life. He speaks through a prophet Haggai. It's the second shortest book in the Old Testament. It's just two chapters, 38 verses and all. But it packs a really strong, relevant word for us today with what we're experiencing. And Haggai's word really, really comes down to the choices in our life matter. The choices in our life matter. Our choices determine what we have a priority on in our life. These big rocks, what are, what are they? Are, they guide our lives. They prevent us from getting distracted and discouraged even when things seem difficult or slow. So in our one big story so far, we, right where we're at, we've seen Babylon destroy Jerusalem in 586 B.C. Solomon's temple is destroyed. They took most of the Jews into exile. About 50 years later, there's this guy named Cyrus who becomes king over Babylon. He's a Persian who overthrows Babylon. We talked a little bit about that last week in Daniel. Daniel Cyrus, though, was a little bit different than most of the emperors over Babylon. He actually, you can see in some of his thinking and his writing recorded elsewhere, that he wanted to conquer the world in order to fight the final battle so that the triumph of good could happen. That was his stated objective. 
Cyrus had actually come to believe that Daniel's God, the Jewish God, was one of the good gods. And so Cyrus claimed this God had actually visited him. Daniel's God had actually visited him in a dream, commanding him to reestablish the worship of Yahweh in Jerusalem and rebuild the temple. You actually find that recorded in Ezra 1. So Cyrus ordered the temple to be rebuilt. He took all the treasures that had been taken out of the temple when it was conquered and destroyed, sent it back with him, and gave him a whole bunch more resources and provision for that journey and that process of rebuilding. Fulfilling, actually, interestingly enough, prophecies from Isaiah and Jeremiah. One of those guys actually prophesied the name Cyrus before the guy was ever born, that he would rise up and be king. It's amazing. While most of the Jews had grown comfortable and decided to stay in Babylon, about 50,000 people made the trek back to Jerusalem. Upon their return, it was a daunting task. Jerusalem was just rubble. Uh, The temple was completely destroyed. In addition, they faced opposition from foreigners who had resettled in that land while they were gone. And, And what we see next is something that everyone throughout history, even us, is tempted with when facing disruption, when facing uncertainty, when facing hard times. We can turn inward. We naturally become more self-protective and begin to focus on our needs first. I mean, it's natural, right? It's easiest to do for us. For those who returned to Jerusalem, it quickly pointed them in the direction of the sin that led to all the destruction in the first place which is seeking our own needs first rather than following God and worshiping God and trusting Him. So in the timeline, 14 years have passed since they've come back. God speaks to Haggai. The people were spending all their efforts on building 14 years later on their own houses, all their efforts in their own fields, working their own businesses. And while the house of God, the temple, and the the practices of worship were being neglected, The temple represents the heart and the soul of the faith of the Jewish people, yet they pushed all that aside to focus on themselves. And remember, just just remember, God blessed them with the favor of the king of Babylon to go and settle and build, rebuild the temple for which the pagan king had extravagantly provided. I mean, that was a major miracle of God. And what did the people do with the blessing? that king provided, that God provided through that king, they take God's blessing and they spend it on themselves. Today we often hear motivational speakers on values and leadership talk about how choices matter and they say it this way. They say, show me your checkbook and I will show you what you value the most in life. And when we hear those motivational speakers say that, and maybe you have been one of those motivational speakers or business leaders who have said that to your team, we all go applaud and we say, yeah. That's right. We know that's true. And that's essentially what Haggai is saying to the people. He says in Haggai 1, Thus says the Lord of hosts, These people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord after 14 years and all this provision and all this authority given to us by the emperor. It hasn't come yet. The people say they intend to build God's house, intend to follow God, just haven't gotten around to it yet. They're probably saying things like, I'm all for this vision. I want to do this. This is really something I really want to do. But times are hard. Jobs are scarce. We need to take care of ourselves and our families first before we build the temple. And the next verse says, Then the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. Is it a time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses 
while God's house lies in ruins? Again, it's this statement, our choices matter. See, when we say we're followers of Jesus, but our time and our money doesn't follow that priority into the mission he's called us to be a part of and into worshiping him, but instead we take raises and we just get a nicer house or a nicer car or a nicer boat or we don't give to God as God asks, that really reveals what we worship, right? Our choices matter. We can make all kinds of excuses. I've, I've got family responsibilities. My kids have these needs and they need me and I'll wait until things settle down and I'll, I'll give when I get the next promotion or the raise. But what does this say about the big rocks or what's actually filling our life as far as priorities in our lives? Our choices matter. Now, it's not wrong to have a new car, a new boat, nicer house. None of that's wrong if the big rock of trusting God is in the right place. Haggai said the first rock, the biggest rock in our lives, the centerpiece of and the main focus of our lives needs to be God as the biggest, number one priority in our lives. I'm actually really, really in awe of how so many people at Quest do this so very well. You let your time and your money follow and show that you have God as a number one priority. This is the most generously obedient church to God I have ever served. So many of you let your checkbooks show that you really do value and trust God. So Haggai goes on talking to people who don't have God as the first big rock in their lives, yet saying, Now therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You've sown much and harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You clothe yourself, but you're never warm. And he who earns wages does so to put them in a bag with holes. Does, does that ever describe any of your own life or hopes or dreams or maybe your finances? It kind of burns a hole in your pocket and you never seem to have enough. The text goes on. You looked for much, and behold, it came to little. When you brought it home, I, God, blew it away. Why, declares the Lord of hosts, because of my house that lies in ruins, while each of you busies himself with his own house. See, when our big rock of God isn't central in our lives, Nothing else fits. Nothing else works. Nothing else is enough. We plant, but we don't harvest. We work hard, but we're never satisfied, never fulfilled. We live with a perpetual frustration and discontent. We aren't getting ahead financially or in whatever other area of life we want. And it's easy to lose sight, isn't it, of what's most important? We all live busy lives. Things are trying to fill our lives every day. It's, it's easy to push God out of the center but then we suffer in other areas. When God blesses us like He does so generously, we spend it on ourselves, ignoring what He wants to do with that blessing. And God, it says here, may actually withhold from us because He can't trust us to handle His blessing well. So what do we see the Israelites do? The people actually respond and actually listen to Haggai. And they, it says, Then all the remnant of the people obeyed the voice of the Lord their God, the words of Haggai the prophet, as the Lord their God had sent him, and the people feared the Lord. So they, they get busy building, and by physically building the temple, they begin to actually shift their lives from a self-focus to a devotion to God by serving in His mission that He's called them to serve in. 
So I want to take a little bit of a moment to just reflect on three lessons. Uh, Haggai is so short, I'd encourage you to go read it uh, when you get home. It'll take you 10 minutes to read the whole thing. Let's look at three key lessons we can learn from Haggai about making better choices by putting the right rock, the biggest rocks, in place in our life first. First is don't live for personal comfort. Live for kingdom purposes. Be watchful of how personal comfort can creep in as the guiding light. It's not Comfort is not wrong, but when comfort becomes the driving force, it's a problem. And when that becomes the guiding light rather than living for God's kingdom and expanding in His kingdom, expanding in your life or in your families or in your community or through we who are the church together, that becomes a problem. Be careful to not let your checkbook reveal that you don't really trust God or value God, but rather your own personal comfort and your own personal pleasure. See, it's, but, but it's more than that. It, it, it's actually everything in life, how you spend your time, the priority you put on healthy spiritual habits, the priority you place on small groups, the priority you place on gathering corporately to worship. All of that has to do with whether we're putting that right big rock in our life first, the priority you place on letting Jesus reach other people through you who do not know him yet. See, God's, Haggai's inviting us, God's inviting us to let your life count for something bigger than personal comfort or entertainment or pleasure. It's important to note that the connection, the correction Haggai gives here isn't, he's not giving it to backsliders and unbelievers. I mean, these are to the faithful ones who actually left Babylon, made the 900-mile trek back to Jerusalem, the ones who have already put the personal comfort on the back burner to return over a decade before this. But now they're tired and they're discouraged. They've drifted away from that priority of God in the center of their lives. And our second lesson about keeping the biggest rock of God in our lives, Haggai says, blessings will come to those who obey. Just like we saw in our object lesson, abundantly more fits in there when we get the priorities right. If you put all the little stuff in, you never get the priorities in. But if you get the big rocks in, you can still pour a bunch of the little stuff in as well and enjoy it. Haggai 2, we see the people start to obey. But things are still tough. But God says through the prophet, is the seed yet in the barn? Indeed, the vine, the fig tree, the pomegranate, the olive tree have yielded nothing. So God's acknowledging there hasn't been a lot of blessing yet. It's still kind of tough. But then he says this, but from this day on, I will bless you. Obedience to God will lead to blessing. And here's an important word, growing in your life. He uses an agricultural illustration. We don't plant and get the fruit right away. Some of those things take years and years and years to develop, but it begins to grow from this day forward of obedience. Blessing begins to grow. Jesus also says this in Matthew 6. He says, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these other things, these little things will be added to you. See, the people are stirred up. They're, they, 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 they're back to rebuilding the temple. They're singing about the steadfast love of God. The people are pumped up to serve God, and it lasts for about three weeks. And then another attack comes. But this one's actually isn't from other people. It's something, again, that we all face internally in our life and in our faith. We get discouraged. They got discouraged. 
Why? Well, writing at the same time of Haggai, Ezra notes how some of the people had actually seen the splendor of the previous temple before it was destroyed. So as the people are laying the foundation for the, for the current temple, Haggai says the people could not distinguish the sound of a joyful shout from the sound of people's weeping. So what's happening there? What's happening is the people who are younger, the younger generation who's never seen the temple in its glory before, they're laying the foundation with excitement. We get to be a part of building something big and something beautiful. But at the same time, the older generation looks at it and they're weeping because it's just a pathetic shack compared to what they remember. And they can't ever imagine it being that good again. So Ezra notes the disappointment spread like yeast. Then it says everyone wanted to quit. So have you ever been there? Been, uh, you believed God was calling you to do something, maybe with a job, maybe with a relationship, or maybe in a ministry that God had called you to be a part of, and it, and it wasn't nearly what you hoped for? Somehow you get discouraged and so downcast and so so despairing that you can't see the good that is happening around you. It makes you just want to quit and you think, there's no way God's going to take make anything of this, right? A third lesson, one that I think really speaks to where we are at today in our current circumstances. Haggai reminds us, don't be discouraged by outward appearance or small beginnings because God is with us And the best is still yet to come. See, the new temple was not going to look like the old. So why labor for it? It's depressing. It's discouraging when things don't look like they did in the past. We can get this kind of rear view window syndrome. And have you ever heard somebody talk saying, you know, God did this in the past and this in the past was so great and, and it, you know, when that happened and, and they, all they can talk about is the past saying, I remember when prayer was in schools and I remember when church got to be this way and when we got to do this in church and when this thing happened in church and we did things this way. And it's, I mean, honestly, it's good to remember the faithfulness of God in the past. If remembering the past propels you forward to believe for God today more. If it doesn't propel you forward with more hope, what you're actually getting sucked into is a really dangerous warning sign. See, our life as individuals and as a church is not what God has done in the past, but how He's moving us forward today, regardless of what's going on around us. When we focus too much on the past, we can so easily get discouraged, we can get stuck, and this discouragement will surely spread like yeast, as Ezra says. Discouragement often spreads to criticism, and criticism often leads to bitterness, and when bitterness happens, the work of God among us stops. Bitterness, because the situation didn't turn out the way we hoped it would. Bitterness is actually another form of worship. It's, it, it's, it's clinging to the idea of what life was supposed to look like and worshiping that. Instead of worshiping God who can make something good out of whatever we are facing, even if that something is really bad. Discouragement is like yeast. It can turn, it can kill the joy and motivation of others. Discouragement leads to criticism. It leads to gossip. It's just this slow drip and people quit engaging in what God is doing. So what do we do when we're discouraged? 
In Haggai, we see God giving them clear encouragement that their efforts will be worthwhile. It says, For thus says the Lord of hosts, Yet once more in a little while I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land, and I will shake all the nations so that the treasures of all nations shall come in. And I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine, the, glory, the, the gold is mine, declares the Lord of hosts. The, the latter glory of this house shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. In this place I will give peace, declares the Lord of hosts. In other words... Sure, the second temple that we're building right now, it's kind of unimpressive. But God is doing something much bigger than mere physical renovation. In Haggai, we see, again, something that is actually present in much of Old Testament prophecy. It speaks to a truth about what God is going to do now in the near term, and it also speaks to a truth of what God is going to do in the long term. So, for example... Haggai is saying God will help them with the current temple they are rebuilding. But God is also speaking about something much bigger, more beautiful, and more powerful. They're they're actually building the temple that centuries later King Herod will finish decking out with even greater beauty. This is the temple Jesus is going to walk through, teach and overturn the tables in. The very temple Jesus will die outside of and rise again again. And the glory of God made flesh in Jesus will come into this temple that they are building. And Jesus will establish a temple of much greater glory than this one. Remember when Jesus said this, he said, destroy this temple in three days and I will raise it up. Remember the response of the crowds? They're going, what? How can you do that? It took us 46 years to build it to this point. Now we know that actual physical temple was destroyed again in AD 70 by the Romans and it has never been rebuilt to this day. Haggai tells us this temple to come will be enduring for the glory of God. He's actually referring to what Jesus has accomplished in the work here on earth. Likewise, Jesus even admits this in the context when you read him. He wasn't talking about the physical temple. He was talking about himself, that he will be that temple that will never be destroyed, that will be enduring. In fact, even more, 1 Corinthians, Paul sheds more light on this saying, Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's Spirit, His presence, dwells in you? A temple to which God will send His Spirit, His presence to live in, is you as a follower of Jesus. The glory of the temple isn't the stones and the beams. The glory of the temple is the presence of God. The glory of the temple that they are building points to how God's Spirit wants to come and live in us when we put Him first, when we put the big rock in first and serve Him above all else in our lives. That same presence that has done every single wonder and miracle that we've read about and going through our one big story cover to cover in the Bible this year so far, that same presence that raises Jesus from the dead, the Holy Spirit, God's glory comes to live in us as his followers, his temple, his church. The Jews of Haggai's day could not see it all. All they could see was something that looked insignificant and small. So God encouraged them. And these, these few verses he writes of encouragement are just are power-packed of encouragement. It says, Yet now be strong, O Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, O Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. So he's talking to a couple of leaders. Then he says, Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord. Work, for I am with you, 
declares the Lord of hosts. According to the covenant that I made with you when you came out of Egypt, my spirit remains in your midst, so fear not. And that little bit of encouragement, he basically tells us four things. Be strong, take courage, get to work. My presence is with you. Don't be afraid. Now, if you were a Jew, these words in Haggai are almost the same words that David said to Solomon in 1 Chronicles 28.20 about building that first temple. Do not be afraid or dismayed. God's not going to leave you. God's going to help you complete this thing and what he intends for you to do. Those same four exhortation words are there. So those of you who don't think this temple was as good as Solomon's, God says the same God with Solomon's temple is with you. He's just as committed to you now as God ever was then. And the same thing God is saying to us today. He's saying, I am just as committed to you now as I was back then. My spirit is with you. Don't be afraid. So how is this a word for us today? Well, I think one practical application for us is to just simply keep focused even during this time on building the church. Even if it seems small or, in, or different than what we had in the past, we're in the season where we can't do churches as we normally do. Many of us, I think, have just been waiting for COVID to get over and to return life and church to return to normal. But I don't really think that's a reality. I think, I think God is presenting with, with an opportunity to rebuild and even reimagine how we do church with some people gathering here in person and others gathering with us online. Relationship is the mission. Relationship with God and others here at Quest, that's always going to be the same thing. We think it's biblical and it's always going to be a core foundation. But I think COVID has presented us with a number of opportunities to envision and engage relationships within the church in a more deep way and how we can create opportunities to spread the gospel even more. So just as Haggai challenges the Israelites, one of the great temptations of this season of social distancing is that we become more inward-focused and we neglect how God wants us to both experience community and to work through us to, to build the community of faith, the church. So we're going to start an initiative uh, that I think is going to continue well past COVID-19 and continue at some level. It's going to allow us to reach more people, to create community in new ways, and I think in some ways maybe even more effectively in a few areas with some people. We're going to start something we're going to call it Church at Home. Church at Home is not a replacement for small groups though some small groups may decide to take part in this as well together. Rather, it's the idea that we gather in small groups of people in our homes to worship together with others through either engaging with Quest's live stream service or viewing the services on demand. So church at home might look like if you have a couple friends and family members, extended family members, you are kind of self-quarantining or social distancing with you all might gather in one of your living rooms and you might watch the services together and just check in on each other and pray for each other and encourage each other and create community. I think this is also an opportunity for you who, to gather some friends who you're praying for to come to faith in Jesus, but they're not comfortable darkening the doors of a church, but they might accept an invitation to your living room to watch and be a part of services with us. Or you may gather with a bunch of families totally via Zoom. 
And you watch the service together, you worship together, you pray together, you check in and you encourage each other and you build community together with one another through church at home. Now, we already have some leaders who have stepped up saying, I want to help with this. We're calling them community builders uh, who are on board and we're going to be rolling out these groups in the next few weeks. Uh, Or you may actually be here or listening online and you may say, I want to actually start one of those groups and invite anybody who wants to join. Just let us know. I know we're all tired of Zoom. But if we take the message of keeping God at the center of our lives and relationships as a primary mission, then if you don't know how to use Zoom, we'll help you figure out how to use it. And I think it it does better than total social distance for us. Uh, So we'll gradually be launching throughout August and September a number of these groups as we help orient the new leaders and and we start getting loops, groups connected. So it'll take some time. But if you are either interested in being a part of a church at home group or a community builder who organizes one, you can go to questvineyard.org slash church at home and click on the interest icon or fill out the interest form there and let us know what your interest level is. But beyond that, how else can this word be for us today? So many of us may not feel like God is moving in our lives or our world as we hope for right now. There's great uncertainty about what's going to happen health-wise, economy-wise. So much divisiveness, discouragement is, I think, spreading like yeast all around us. I believe God spoke to us through Haggai today. He's saying to us today, in our culture, I think that might sound like God saying to us, come fight the fight with me. Keep Keep your eyes off the circumstances and keep them on me. Put me at the center of your life. Keep moving forward. I'm inviting you to be a part of something bigger than you can see. Be faithful in the small things you're doing right now because the small things I will surely build into something bigger. Trust me. Keep reconciling in your marriage. Keep your checkbook showing that you have hope in me and that you actually put me at the center of your life, that you believe in his mission on this earth. Keep building the church by staying in relationship with others and encouraging and being there for one another. Keep reaching out to your neighbor who thinks differently than you and listen and care for them really well. Keep sharing the good news of Jesus. You see, when we put that first big rock in the place, everything else will fall into place. So what God is asking us to rebuild may take time. So let's not get discouraged with small beginnings. He promises to do a good work in us and through us. The best is yet to come. For you, for us together as quest for His church in America, the best is still yet to come. So... Maybe pick an area in your life right now where you feel discouraged. And just, just, let's just create a little space for this right now. Pick an area in your life where you feel discouraged. And I just want you to, to close your eyes and just think of God being with you. God being for you in that area of discouragement. Let God visit you in that moment right now. I'll give you just a couple seconds. And then you might imagine yourself like the guys with Haggai, uh, God asking you, what's, what's the first rock he wants you to put in place? What's the next step that he wants you to do to show that you trust him with that area of your life? 
We're going to turn to worship, and I'll invite you to stand. We're going to sing an old, familiar hymn that's kind of redone a little bit called It Is Well. And I want you to take that phrase and some of the phrases in this, and I know this is often sung at funerals. We're going to try to put a little more energy behind it today and, de- and declare this as a declaration of our trust in God, our declaration that, God, we want you to be that big, most first important rock in our lives. Would you stand and sing? Holy Spirit, I ask that you would just come and rest on every single person here. And Lord, wherever there's been discouragement, would you come and just reaffirm over and over again your promise. Where there's small beginnings, Lord, would you just affirm that you have a plan because you do, Lord. Father, I pray that you'd help each and every one of us trust that. No matter how long it takes, no matter whether it's fulfilled in our lifetime or fulfilled hundreds of years later like it was in Haggai's case. Lord, would you teach us to be faithful people who live full lives of the right, most meaningful things. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope you encountered the love of Jesus in this message. If you'd like to be a part of the ministry God is doing through Quest, whether in person or online, go to questvineyard.org for more information. If you want to worship God by supporting Quest financially, go to questvineyard.org give. May God bless you this week as you partner with God to change the world one friendship at a time.